I'm sure most of you know and you've heard that just this past Wednesday, uh, the, the church, the world, the, the entirety of the Christian movement lost an incredible leader this last week. Wednesday, tw- uh, February 21st, Billy Graham passed away. And Billy Graham, I'm the first person that will say was just a man. He was just a man. He was an ordinary man. He himself would say that there was nothing that was special or extraordinary about him at all. He was one sinner who had experienced the love and grace of Jesus Christ, who had had his life transformed and lived his life from the moment of awakening to the reality of Jesus Christ with a laser focus, with an incredible laser focus that all people would come that all people would come to know the love of Jesus Christ. I remember, I was in fifth grade. It was 1987. I was growing up in Fargo, North Dakota. My dad was a senior pastor of a large and growing church by the name of Hope. So ironic to me that I grew up at a church called Hope Lutheran, and now I serve at a church called Lutheran Church of Hope. I think God's trying to tell me something. Hope is a good thing. It's always a good thing. There's no greater thing that we can have in our life than a hope that is well-placed. And I remember as a fifth grader, my dad being part of a committee that was trying, desperately trying, to get this man to come to our town to allow people to hear in an extraordinary way, to do anything they could that people would hear the message of the gospel. And in June of 1987, as I'm a fifth grader, my dad's on the planning committee, Billy Graham came. And 70,000 people over three days in Fargo, North Dakota, in the middle of nowhere, came to hear the message of hope. And it had an incredible impact, an imprint on my life. I remember sitting there in the living room as my dad was talking to our family about the anticipation and and the excitement, not because Billy Graham was some sort of a superstar, but because of somehow, in some way, God had given Billy Graham a platform that had been, from a cultural perspective, been raised to a superstar status. I remember my dad talking about how just how normal he was. And how humble and how extraordinary. And how he used his life to point people to the light of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. Not just as a church, but as people who follow Jesus Christ. Don't ever be distracted from this. You exist. Your life has been turned around, transformed. God is desperately trying to turn your life and transform your life, not just so that you will know, but that God can use you so that other people will know his love. That until Jesus Christ comes again, and he's going to come again, I don't know when it's going to be, but he will come again. And until that time, you and I have an opportunity Not because of somehow how extraordinary we are, but because of how incredible loving God is. It's not about a person. It's not about a personality. 
Paul speaks to this very, very, very poignantly in his letter to the Corinthians. See, the Corinthians church, if you, you find two letters that Paul wrote to them in First and Second Corinthians in your Bible, if you look at First and Second Corinthians, Paul is writing to a group of people who had lost their way who were trying to play the power game and, and, and struggling on who was more important and, and who had more leverage than other people. And there are some people who followed Paul and other people who followed another early apostle by the name of Apollos. And they were dividing themselves on what preacher they liked the best. And Paul reminds them, he says, yeah, I may have planted the seed, Apollos may have watered it, but don't ever forget, it's about God. It's God who makes it grow. Billy Graham would have been the first person that would have said this and said it multiple times, countless times. He was embarrassed by the fame that he had. He was a country kid from North Carolina who God somehow, by his own admission, somehow could use him to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham said his life was no different than the first people who followed Jesus. Billy Graham said the men who followed him were unique in their generation. So should we be. So is our call. We are called to be unique. We're not called to be different. We're called to be unique. They turned the world upside down because their hearts had been turned right side up. And the world's never been the same because of those people who took the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and chose not to keep it for themselves, but to, chose to share it with the world around them. Because in an upside down world, their hearts had been turned upside right. That's why we're doing this series over the course of this season called Lent. The season of Lent in the church is the 40 days that exist between Ash Wednesday. Maybe you're unfamiliar with Ash Wednesday, so think about Fat Tuesday and Mardi Gras. Ash Wednesday is the day after that. And so Ash Wednesday until Easter, it's 40 days if you take out the Sundays. And this season of Lent is a season of preparation. It's a season where we... We prepare ourselves for the sacrifice of the cross, the goodness. And this season during Lent, we're, we're focusing not just on the teachings of Jesus. It's good to know the teachings of Jesus. It's really good to know what Jesus said. But sometimes when we just think about the teaching of Jesus, we reduce our faith in Christianity to merely and simply things that we know. But as we read through the Gospels, it's, more than an intellectual pursuit. It's something that's it's worthy of our lives. So we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Four stories of Jesus that center on the life of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First four books of the New Testament. We're looking at Matthew's Gospel and we're looking at the mission and the miracle and the movement of Jesus. That's why we have this thing that you may have heard about last week and I heard that some of you who were at the Sunday 5 p.m. service last week didn't quite know about this whole friendly Jesus thing. We have this uh, friendly Jesus thing where we have a stuffed Jesus who throughout the course of Lent 
is going to be hidden all throughout the worship center. And I don't know, and I don't want to give it away, where friendly Jesus might be, but you're invited over the course of Lent to after worship or before worship. If you come to worship and you get to worship early and you get there, you can come and take a selfie with Jesus. Because who's there better to take a selfie with? Take a selfie with Jesus and kids of any age can take your picture to the Connect Grow Serve area and we'll give you a card and we'll punch it. And because some of you didn't know this last week, it's Two Punch Sunday. So if you come and take your picture with Friendly Jesus and take it to our Connect, Grow, Serve, they'll punch you twice. They won't punch you. They'll punch your cards twice. And if you make it all six weeks to worship during Lent and you bring your card in, you'll get a grand prize and you're saying, are you seriously resorting to that to get us to come to worship? Well, Trader Joe's does it. My kids come to Trader Joe's every time we go. So if you go to Trader Joe's and you find this stuffed pig called bacon, they get a sucker. And so we can't go to Trader Joe's without our miserable kids coming with us. And it was Super Bowl Sunday and I had gotten to the store and I got to the front of the line and my daughter Jade said, Dad, we didn't find bacon. And the line was so long. And I said, we are not going to find bacon. So we went and found bacon. And I was bribing people because I didn't want to waste my time. I'll pay you money if you just tell me where that stinking pig is right now. But truth be told, we'll do anything to get you to church. Paul says in Corinthians that we become all things to all people for the sake, not of friendly Jesus, but for the sake of the gospel, the good news. Because this good news, it will change your life. We're going to do things a little bit differently. You see people walking around, they aren't lost. Every week when you come to worship, there are a couple things that we say. And we say it religiously. We do it every week. One, we, think, we say it's no accident that you're here. But the second thing we say after that is we say we've been praying for you. And what you're seeing physically right now is what happens behind the scenes every week for worship at Lutheran Church of Hope. There is not, nor will there ever be a worship service that happens at this church where people aren't praying that the people who come to worship will somehow have an extraordinary experience with the resurrected living Jesus Christ that will transform their lives and turn them around and give them hope, which is a good thing. So they're not going to look at you and they're not going to somehow make eyes at you and say, I know what you did this week. But they're praying for you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit intercedes in our praying. And there are some of you that they are walking by and they're praying for that God gives them a word and they are praying for whatever that is. Because when you're on the Jesus run, you just don't talk about it, you do it. Last week we talked about the first thing that we read in Matthew's gospel and the movement and the mission of Jesus is, is Jesus, he, he calls his disciples. That there are people, fishermen, uh, some tax collectors that he calls who literally drop everything they have in order to follow him, in order to be a part of what he is a part of, of what he's claiming to be a part of. 
And immediately after Jesus calls his disciples, he, they travel throughout the whole region of Galilee. It says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, early in Matthew's gospel, they travel to the entire region, everywhere that they could go, everywhere that their feet literally could take them. They go. And they announce the good news. Stories of Jesus are called the Gospels, and gospel literally means good news. And they announced the good news about the kingdom, that the kingdom of God, that the kingdom that God had created at the very beginning of the story, way back in the beginning of Genesis, that that kingdom, it was at hand, and it was coming, and it was near, and they could literally start to experience it. And one of the first ways that that was experienced is that people were receiving health. They're being healed. So he healed every kind of disease, every kind of illness. All over, people are being brought to Jesus from the very beginning. And he's speaking life where there is none. And he's bringing hope where it's been lost. And he's bringing peace where there's nothing but chaos. And life where there's death. A healing world can be one that has a lot of baggage, doesn't it? I know because I'm one of you. That just by hearing the word healing, there are some of us that hear that word and say, mm, okay, sure, I, I can read it. And, and I heard it in the story that, that Jesus came and he, and he healed somebody and, and good. That happens in the biblical times. And it happened in the time of Jesus. But somehow when Jesus left, so did the power of healing that exists in the world today. And you're not saying that somehow because you want to be dismissive or, or rude or, or, or irreverent, but you're doing it because you say, I have my feet planted in reality. Because I've been praying for it for quite some time, and it just hasn't happened. But as we read this story, what we're going to see is somehow the way in which God heals is far greater than the way that we could ever hope or imagine. The good news is because it happens to a world that's gotten stuck. You ever been stuck before? This happened to me on, on Tuesday. We had more ice in this last week than we have the last three years in Iowa. It seemed like every other day we were gonna get like a quarter inch of ice. Well, it was Tuesday and Tuesday at Hope is meeting day. And my wife was working, and so I had one job outside of coming to work, and my job was to get home and let the dog out so the dog could eat and, use, and go to the bathroom. So my wife reminded me, because I need to be reminded quite often, because I'm not a detail person. My wife reminded me, she said, make sure you get home to let the dog out. Well, it was icy out, and I had about 30 minutes to get home and to get back to work. So I very carefully went out to my car, got in my car. I drove home. I navigated the streets. The side streets were icy. The main streets were quite safe. And as I was pulling into our driveway, I decided that it would be much quicker if I didn't park my car in the garage. I just left my car in the driveway. 
So I opened up the garage, I stopped my car, turned off my car, opened up my door, and my car literally started sliding back down my driveway. And I started freaking out. Because I'm thinking, I hope that nobody's walking on the sidewalk, because that would be really awkward to hit somebody right now. The second thing I thought is, my goodness, what if there's traffic? I'm going to slide into the street and somebody's going to hit me. And the third thing I thought is, I hope nobody is watching right now. Because the door is open and I'm trying to scramble back into my car and my feet are slipping and I'm slipping all over the place and I finally get into my car, I turn it back on, I try to go forward and I just resign myself to sliding backwards. And my, my, my car stops with the back wheels in the gutter of the driveway. You know that little dip at the end? So I thought, whew. Now I know better. Now I'm going to park the car in the garage because the driveway is just not safe. And so I try to move forward and I can't move. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to get some momentum. So I'll just put the car in reverse. I'll go in reverse and it'll all be fine. I put the car in reverse, but because it was so icy, my car, my car, I'm the only person on planet earth that can get their car stuck in their driveway with no snow. And I'm trying to get the, you know how you get the thing to try to rock? So like, if I go forward and I slam it in reverse, I go forward, slam, so, and I'm doing this whole thing and I'm thinking, there are people that are watching right now. My neighbor even sent me a text message and said, having troubles? <laughs> I mean, it was miserable. And I thought to myself, I'm, gonna, I'm going to have to call a tow truck to get my car out of my driveway because I couldn't move forward and I couldn't go backwards. I was stuck. And there was nothing I could do about it. And it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? When that happens. I mean, it's a horrible feeling when it happens in our car. But it's way worse when it happens in our lives. And it does. Because we're human. There are many of us that are here right now that feel as if we have gotten stuck. We wonder how on earth we're ever going to get out of the situation we found ourselves. Or if maybe there's life that could ever exist out of this rut that we've gotten stuck in. This is what happened to this man in this story. Matthew chapter 9. It's one of my favorite healing stories in, 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 in all of the New Testament. When I was in seminary, we, our first class that we had to take was a Greek class where we literally learned the, the language of the New Testament. And so the very first passage of scripture that I had to translate as a student was this story from Mark chapter nine, or Matthew chapter 9. This story of this paralyzed man is also found in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, found in all three. And there's a man who is paralyzed. And the important thing to know when we think about this story, is we need to know what the context is. Because this man, yes, 
physically, most definitely, this man, we can say just by the word paralyzed that he's stuck. He can't move. But it's also good to know that in the time of Jesus, when somebody had some sort of illness, it was thought that there was something in their life that they had done that they were being punished for. So not only physically, but also emotionally, relationally. Because if you have something going on, nobody's going to want to associate with you. You remember when you were a kid and maybe your mom or your dad said, well, you don't, you, you don't hang out with those people. He was one of those people. You say, okay, yeah, this is going to be a story of healing. Jeremy, I get it. Jesus comes, he heals the guy, and, 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 and sure, that's great, but why doesn't it happen to me? But here's where it gets really important. It's important to maybe to even take some notes on this, to remember this, especially when you're stuck. Because you have a guy by the name of Jesus who comes, and has a man, Kendall, it's the best we could find, on a mat who's brought by his friends, Martin Luther, Napoleon Dynamite, Will Fisherman, and Joy from, uh, oh, sorry, Joy, that's, I, just, I just knocked Joy out of the room. I'm going to let her sit. sit. <laughs> but the first thing. There a man, there is a man who was brought to Jesus. When you're stuck, it's really important to have some faith-filled friends. That's why community is so important. That's why worship is so important. Every one of us, and I say this all the time, every one of us is here standing on the shoulders of somebody who came before us, somebody who loved us enough to share the message of the gospel with us. And maybe that was you tonight, that you came here kicking and screaming. And somebody said, hey, we're gonna go to church tonight. And you said, absolutely not. It's beautiful out. It hasn't been beautiful out forever. And I'm not gonna waste my night going to church. And they said, no, we're going. He said, I don't wanna go. And if I go, I'm gonna sit here like this the whole time because you can see a lot from up here. But they brought you. Maybe they brought you once upon a time. Just for a minute, think about who, who was that in your life? Who was it that, that brought you when you were stuck to the feet of Jesus? Because this man isn't going to experience healing without his friends. It's not possible. But you see, the second part of this point is even more important. Who are you bringing? Because it's really easy to think about the people who played that role in our life. But who are you playing that, in whose life are you playing that role? Who do you know in your life that's stuck? It's paralyzed. Something in life has paralyzed them. 
physically, emotionally, spiritually, that without you bringing them the good news, the gospel, the only hope that we have, wouldn't find life. Jesus sees the faith of the friend, of the friends, and looks at the man and he says, my, my child, be encouraged. Your, your sins are forgiven. And you think to yourself, huh, how weird is that? I mean, don't you know that the guy, I mean, you, you almost have to, and I remember our Greek professor saying, this is one of the most curious points of any of the gospel healing stories. And Jesus is making a point here. He looks at the man and his friends must have been thinking, uh, sorry, Jesus, we've heard that you're casting out demons, that you're healing people, that you're allowing the blind to see. And don't you see our friend here? He's stuck. He's paralyzed. And you're talking about his sins? But what Jesus does is he does first things first. And he forgives and he gives a future. It's filled with hope. I think about sometimes, we think about healing and we think about our relationship to God in the middle of those times where we need it so badly. And I don't want to dismiss those at all. Trust me, I've been there in my life. I am there in my life. I've spoken about it before and I'll speak about it again. I've been type 1 diabetic for 31 years. And I know it's going to steal life from me. And I pray every day that God would heal me of it. first thing that God gives this man is what's going to last. He gives us the promise of eternity. I mean, do you want a gift that's going to some point fail you? None of our lives will last forever. There is extraordinary healings that happen all throughout Scripture. One of the most famous is a guy by the name of Lazarus who Jesus takes from dead. And, and after he'd been dead for three days, Jesus speaks to, to, to Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, get up. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. So yeah, that's, that's the healing. That's when I know. That's what I know. And that's when I know that God is real. But you know what? Lazarus maybe got 30 more years after that. All of our lives, and it, I'm, I'm not, don't mishear me. I don't want to minimize in any way, shape, or form the life that we have and that we're living right now. It matters. It's a gift. God placed you here on purpose for a purpose, and your life matters. And you're a part of the movement that God is, is ushering in through this world to bring people to know Jesus Christ. Your life counts, and it counts infinitely, and Jesus Christ died for you. Don't miss, dismiss the power of who you are and who God created you to be. But God wants something for you that will last eternally, not temporarily. 
He wants you to experience the forgiveness that gives us the assurance of everlasting life. So that we will know that we know that we know that we know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that comes from Christ Jesus. One of our core values here as a church, number one is Jesus' life, the rest is detail. Our core value number two is lost people to matter to God so they matter to us. God loves those who are far away. And that includes you and that includes me. And God wants us to know that there is a future. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Jesus says, seek the kingdom first because it lasts. Because it's eternal. Eternal literally means, biblically it means really big without any edges. And in that kingdom, there is no more sorrow, no more weeping, no more bitterness and no more tears. But Jesus doesn't end there, nor should we. Sometimes we think about miracles and we think about healing. We think, well, it's either the fact that we get eternal life or it's the fact that God heals us physically. Why can't it be both? This is my stretch on the Fs. I apologize. I only have so much in between my ears. He gives us the physical as well. I spent more hours trying to think of an F. I was just going to say I was trying to think of an F word. I did say that in church. <laughs> spent a lot of time on it, and I went there. Jesus looks at the man, and he says, get up. Stand up. Be healed. Yes, most definitely, Jesus wants to give him the certainty of eternity. He wants to give him a forever future that starts with the forgiveness of his sins. But he also wants to give him more. And so does he with you. Psalm 147 says, He, God, by nature, heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. By nature, God is a God who heals. God is a God who saves. God is a God who gets us out of those places where we have found ourselves stuck. So ask. Matthew chapter 7, right before this story. Jesus and his disciples, they go out and they heal all, they, they announce the kingdom and they heal all the illnesses and all the sickness. And then Jesus goes on a hillside and gives the best sermon that the world has ever known. Much of the sermon is what we base our society on today. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, anybody, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock, the door will be open because everyone who asks, receives. Let's read this one together. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you believe that? 
Because that's why God sent his son to heal you. To heal you first and foremost, eternally. So that no matter what it is that leads to the end of your physical life, that you will have a hope that lies beyond the grave. That all your relationships will be restored. That you will spend eternity. You got to promise me at one point we'll have one worship service together in heaven. And my sermon will be four minutes long. We get to spend eternity there. Because it's what we were created for. So one of the last messages that Billy Graham gave was this heartfelt plea to to remind people of what really matters. Of what in the end will last. Of the hope that comes. Billy Graham was quoted as saying, someday you'll read or here as we did just on Wednesday, that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? So I shall be more alive than I am now. I'll just have changed my address. I'll have gone into the presence of God, to the kingdom, to the kingdom where we experience the love and the grace and the truth of who God is, of more importantly, of of, of who we are. There are a lot of ways in which maybe you would label yourselves or somebody else has labeled you and none of those matter except for what God calls you. How God identifies you. Nothing else matters. Your sickness, your illness, the places where you feel like you have screwed up, where you've left things undone, none of those matter. What matters is the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. A God who comes when we are stuck, when we were yet far away, the Bible says. God came to restore us, to renew us, to revive us, to give us life, to give us the assurance, to bring us back to life, to knit us back together one piece at a time so that the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that you would be fully you. Ask, seek, knock. 